This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Maxwell Finn from StartupDrugs.com explains how they launched a million-dollar business on Product Hunt. On today's podcast, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that built a $1 million business by creating and promoting videos on YouTube and Facebook. In this episode, you'll learn how to drive customers from your videos to your email list, why negative comments on YouTube videos can actually be a good thing, and how to decide what content you should give away for free and what you should be charging for. Today, I'm joined by Nev Lapwood from SnowboardAddiction.com. Snowboard Addiction offers the world's best snowboarding training products and tutorials and was started in 2007 and based out of Whistler, BC, Canada. Welcome, Nev. Hi, Felix. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. So tell us a little bit more about your story and what are some of the most popular products that you sell? Uh, so I grew up in New Zealand, which is why I have this uh, different accent. And uh, snowboarding was my passion when I was growing up. So after I finished school in New Zealand, I basically moved to Canada because I wanted to be able to snowboard more. There I was eventually put into a situation where I had to figure out how to make money to live. And um, what I decided to do was make a business based around um, what I knew, which was snowboarding. So we actually started out by just producing videos that would teach people how to snowboard. We would sell them on DVD or you could download them from our website. And uh, from there, over many years and trying different things, we've um, branched out into selling physical training products that help people to improve their snowboarding year round. That's amazing that you already had the passion for this and this decided to uh, earn a living by ter- by building a business around that passion. I think that's a goal for a lot of entrepreneurs. So did you have any experience in the past launching businesses or was this your very first entrepreneurial pursuit? I dabbled in bits and pieces. Um, not This was my first major business. Uh, I'd done a few different ventures, but nothing significant. So I would have been about 23 when I started this, so pretty young when I started Snowboard Addiction. Yeah, why do you think that this one was the one that took off and became much, you know, much bigger than your other attempts? Well, this was the first business that I really took seriously, and um, I just um, made it the best in the world for what it provides. So, if you want the best online video snowboard instruction or the or the best snowboard training products, you basically have to come to my website to buy them because nowhere else is as good. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons that we um, we were successful is that we. Um, we listened to what our customers want, and we um, made it really good. Yeah. So when you first launched the the, the business, did you were you selling online right off the bat, or did you try selling in person uh, at the beginning? Pretty much all online. Um, and then at the start, we were selling a lot more DVDs because that was um, a very popular format for videos at the time. And uh, it transitioned into obviously digital um, digital media content and physical products from there. Mm-hmm. And how did you promote it early on? Because like you're saying, this was a business that you started and it was your first big one in an industry that you knew a lot about, but it didn't seem like you know you had a heavy background in online marketing or anything. How did you get the traffic and the sales early on? So our biggest traffic provider for the first five plus years of the business was YouTube. We had a, a huge YouTube following. And at the time when I started doing the videos, 
video cameras were not very popular. GoPros didn't exist. Um, HD video was only just coming out and not many people really had access to be able to make videos. So our YouTube channel was very popular and it consistently provided about 50% of all the traffic to snowboardaddiction.com, our website. Mm, so this YouTube channel, when did you, the business was launched in 2007. Was the YouTube channel started around the same time or did you have a, a period before that that you were creating these videos? St- started the exact same time. Oh, wow. So you grew this thing uh, like step by step with the, the actual business. So then I guess the question is, how did you grow that, that following so quickly? What were you doing to, to gain a, a following on YouTube in 2007? Um, so YouTube, it came down to having really good videos, um, obviously really good tagging, good keywording, having descriptions throughout your YouTube videos. Uh, and it, YouTube wasn't as competitive back then as it is now, so it was easier to get a following. But um, yeah, just uh, really good content, really. Having the best snowboard instruction content was what made our following. Mm, So these were like um, tutorial-based videos? Yeah, all of our videos were tutorial-based. Cool. Yeah, I think that's an avenue that a lot of people are thinking about pursuing too because it's worked really well in written content, of course, where you're teaching through your blog and then driving traffic that way during that kind of doing that kind of content marketing. That's like the most uh, I guess bare bones approach anyone can do. Video is a bigger step up, you know, requires much more investment of your time, but then can provide a much more uh, lasting impact for for your customers. Uh, but I think one of the difficulties that a lot of people struggle with is how do you know what to be creating? How did you know what you should be teaching your, your prospective customers? Uh, how did we know? We were just teaching everything that I knew in my head. Mm. Um, so I, I had the, um, a bit of an unfair advantage. I'd snowboarded most of my life. So I was at a very, very high level of snowboarding and predominantly self-taught because there wasn't a lot of snowboard instruction available back in the day when I started. A lot of it, I was lucky enough to be relatively good at teaching people just naturally. But what we did from our YouTube channel then is we um we tried to get a lot of people to our newsletter. So we used MailChimp to collect um, emails and we did a, a lot of email marketing. So a goal of mine from very, from the start of the business was to get a lot of people on our email newsletter and that's still a goal today. And it's been very successful for us. We've been able to set up a lot of automated campaigns um, that are constantly hitting people's inbox that help convert our leads into customers. Very cool. So these are customers or prospective customers that are coming from the YouTube channel onto the mailing list? Yes, initially from YouTube channel. And saying that today, a lot more of our marketing today comes from Facebook. I think it's pretty easy to agree that right now Facebook is a huge platform and YouTube is slightly declining in popularity. So today we're getting a lot of traffic from, from Facebook Whereas in the past, it's been predominantly from YouTube. And when you say from Facebook, you're talking about Facebook video or what, what, what from Facebook? Well, we have a, our Facebook fan page, which I think it has, I think it's maybe around 100,000 people on that somewhere. Maybe it's 80,000. Um, but what we also do in addition to that is we do a lot of paid advertising with Facebook. So we'll be putting up videos and we'll be boosting the posts of those videos. And then we're retargeting those videos to... Um, to basically appear on the newsfeed of anyone who likes snowboarding or who likes similar dem- demographics to snowboarding. And we find that we're able to get a lot of very affordable marketing um, by using the current Facebook advertising platform. 
Mm, okay, yeah, let's talk about Facebook in, in a second. We'll go back to YouTube um, <clears throat> real quick. So I think, again, YouTube and videos in, uh, especially, uh, or just videos in general, are a, um, a, I guess, the direction that a lot of entrepreneurs can go towards if they feel comfortable creating videos, being on camera. Uh, in your you know many years of experience, uh, what any tips to provide here? Like if you're creating your very first video, how do you even begin to structure? Like, what should you keep in mind to create to create you know great videos right off the bat? The funny thing with videos is that the first time you make one, you're probably going to suck at it. I definitely sucked at my ones, but the more you do them, you get better. So, um, the, just because you suck in front of a camera isn't a reason to not do it. Um, the more you do it, the more clear you're going to get. The better you'll get at presentation, the better you'll get at editing. The easier it'll become. And uh, that definitely, I experienced that with my own business. So tips right off the bat is uh, you don't want them to be too long. These days, the attention span of people is getting shorter. So now we're trying to make all our tutorials two to three minutes in length, whereas in the past, some of my tutorials were like 15, 20 minutes. Um, five, five, six, seven years ago, there was a bit of a different mindset. So we're making really short videos, lots of action. So instead of just me talking in front of a camera, we're always having snowboarding or exercises showing the different movements that we're describing rather than me just standing there talking. So the videos are more interesting to watch. Those are a couple of tips that'll probably help out. Mm. So for someone that is also teaching, maybe not as in, um, I guess, a, ca- a chaotic environment as like a, a snowboarding, but let's say they're just sitting down in a studio, sitting down at their desk and they want to be teaching. Is there a particular format that you follow that, that you like to kind of, go, uh, I guess, go back to to make it, uh, I guess, a very clearly or a very approachable video for, for beginners or for people that want to learn whatever you're teaching? Um, we don't have a strict format. But we definitely try not to cover too many topics at one time. If you try to cover too much, the video is just hard to follow. So it's better to pick something in particular and explain that aspect in as much detail as you can. Because people will really appreciate if you can pull out all the individual points that relate to what you're trying to teach. Gotcha. So when it, when you were doing a YouTube, uh, or at least when you're focusing more on YouTube and driving that traffic, how were you doing? Like, what was what was some ways that you're able to drive traffic uh, back to your store? And was it you're trying to drive them to an opt-in page, or are you trying to drive them to an actual product page where they can make a purchase uh, immediately? Most of our videos, we just try to get them to the homepage of our website. Um, on our homepage of a website, we have an opt-in page. So we use um, an application called Sumami, which collect, basically makes like a landing page to collect emails. And um, if you've been to our website any time in the last 30 days, it won't show you that. But if you're coming back and you've never been in the last 30 days, you'll see that landing page, and that's designed to collect emails. We, um, we don't try to push people directly to a purchase straight away because if we can get them on our newsletter, they're going to get enough exposure that eventually they'll hopefully purchase anyway. So that's more of the, the strategy that we take. Makes sense. And are you like uh, just posting a link to your homepage in the description of the video? Are you putting at the end of the video itself? Like, what are some good places to get some of that exposure for for a uh, you know a link? I guess back to your homepage. So with YouTube in the description, the first thing we ever do is put a link right at the top of the description. Then we also have this thing on YouTube called a card, which basically is in the top right hand corner of your video. Which, if they open that information, it tells you about us and there's a link to our website there we sometimes also make links with what's called annotations which is um 
little snippets of information that can pop up over top of your videos. So you can say like, hey, for more information on this, go to our website, snowboardaddiction.com. So you can um, put your website there. We've also used the strategy that a lot of people use on YouTube at the end of the video where you put up a little video that says, hey, um, subscribe to our channel and you can find out a lot more at snowboardaddiction.com, which is our website. So like a little 10 second sub video put on the end of the YouTube videos. Mm, gotcha. And I'm not sure how uh, I guess uh, prevalent this is when it comes to tutorial videos like this, but you know one of the uh, I guess biggest knocks on YouTube is the comment section, right? It's just uh, sometimes very atrocious where people are just hurling insults and everything back and forth. Did you ever experience this? Any of this kind of negativity with uh, your YouTube videos? And if you did, like, how do you usually handle those situations? The funny thing is, I like the bad publicity because. <laughs> All publicity really is good publicity. Mm -hmm. If people put up a bunch of crazy comments that are pretty rude, it gets people talking. It gets mm -hmm. more comments. It gets more replies. It gets more reactions. And that's great. That's fantastic for marketing because it can eventually just send more people to your website. Um, so in saying that, we haven't had too much um, negative negativity on our YouTube videos. There's, there's occasional things, but we haven't had some – compared to some people. I've seen a lot of hate on YouTube videos and we don't get too much of that, probably because we're helping people and we're helping people improve their snowboarding. So it's a very honest um, honest channel with what we're trying to achieve. Um, but yeah, I have no, I have no um, bad feelings about bad comments because I actually try to encourage them. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And I think uh, it really depends on your brand too, right? I think for yours... I guess you're saying in general, it's always a good thing just to have a lot of engagement, a lot of conversation. And I think if you do have a strong brand, a strong uh, following, a lot of people that are you know, in love with your product, in love with your company, they will love to kind of back you up, right? They will love to come out of the woodworks and just uh, essentially uh, battle back against the negativity and create, again, a lot of this engagement that I think uh, helps improve things like the visibility of your video or just gets a lot of people more, a lot more people talking about about it and linking to the video because of what could be going on in the comments itself. That's very true. Yeah, if you've got a strong brand and an honest an honest reputation, people fight back for you. And yeah. that's even better because the more comments the, your videos get, the more they get seen. It's like I think it's something in the algorithms probably of YouTube and Google that if something's getting attention and getting comments, it gets shown mm -hmm. more. And that's what you want. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, too, from from YouTube and Google's perspective because they want to show people things that are entertaining that would get people to stay on the platform more. So if you're providing content that's doing that to get people to stick around more, then YouTube and you know Google will reward you, essentially, for, for bringing that kind of content to their platform. So uh, YouTube, obviously, was a big success for you from the, right off the bat, and you're saying uh, now Facebook is, a, is a more of a focus for you. Was there anything in between, like that transition between YouTube and Facebook? Was it pretty... Uh, I guess uh, from point A to point B, or did you make a stop anywhere that that uh, in terms of marketing channels that worked well for you guys? Well, we do lots of little bits of marketing all, all over the place. Um, so, but the biggest one initially for us was YouTube, and the biggest one now for us is um, is Facebook. But along the way, we've we've used the different social media platforms. We use Instagram quite a bit still. Um, you know, we have Twitter, but we don't use it very much anymore. Um, We've done a lot of SEO stuff. Um, we've done a lot of blogging. 
We've done a lot with our email newsletter, which I already mentioned. Um, we've done Google AdWords. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of different bits in between, but, and we still do tons on YouTube too, but right now Facebook is our biggest um, focus for marketing. Mm-hmm. And for a product like yours where you are giving away a lot of the content for free, right? It looks like you're po- posting a video, what, like once a week almost on, yeah, on YouTube? Yeah, you're posting pretty consistently and you're giving away great free content. And But then you're also selling content that's you know obviously better and more in-depth than that behind the, the the free YouTube videos. Now, if someone wants to take the same same approach, maybe it's not YouTube videos, maybe it's just you know written content. But the point is that they're giving away something for free right off the bat to to give that value to essentially do that content marketing and then sell a more you know premium product behind it. How do you know how to balance that? How do you know what you should be giving away for free versus what you should uh, you know have people pay for? That's a very hard question. Um, because I don't know 100% the answer, and it is a delicate balance of how much you give away for free versus what you charge. In the past, we would probably give away about a quarter of our material, um, whereas now the focus of my business has moved more away from digital products and is moving into more physical snowboard training products. So in saying that now, when we're selling our physical training products, any of the videos that relate to those physical training products, we're basically giving them away for free mm-hmm. um, because they're helping to sell the physical products. Mm-hmm. In saying that, we still have um, a very, very big library of snowboard tutorials that we sell a membership to, but that is becoming slightly less of a focus for us than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay, it makes sense. I think there's another avenue that a lot of entrepreneurs want to go down, especially newer entrepreneurs that don't want to take the risk of having physical inventory is to sell digital products. I think one of the concerns that that entrepreneurs have is on piracy, right? They're worried that because their product is digital, once it gets out there once, anybody can just kind of spread it and then they, you know, lose that market. Was that ever a concern for you? Did it ever happen to get to that point? We had some piracy. Um, we had um, more piracy four or five years ago when I feel like downloading was more of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, you know, when there was a lot of torrenting going on and things like Pirate Bay. But these days, we're putting out so much video content that it's extremely hard for um, kind of torrent companies to keep up with what we're doing anyway. So, and uh, I definitely have not focused much the last couple of years on protecting stuff from piracy. It, hasn't seemed to have had an, a big impact on what we do. Um, so, yeah, if people I, – I really wouldn't worry too much about piracy. If people want to try to pirate your stuff, they're going to do it anyway, and it shouldn't affect whether you're in business or not. Um, there's enough people out there willing to buy it if, if what you do is good enough. Yeah, and then there's also the argument that the people that are pirating it, I can't say it's 100%, but a good majority of them would never buy from you anyway just because they're not a buyer, right? They're out there looking for free things a lot of times. And you you mentioned that this was all, you had a lot of videos behind like a membership program, which again is another a great uh, business model to have if you can execute on it and uh, you know, have uh, an actual uh, large membership, uh, I guess a member base to, to sell to. So tell us a little yep. more about this. I know you said it's not big of a big much of a focus for you today, but what was the, the plan in setting this up and how were you able to, to grow that membership? So what we realized is that we made these really good instructional snowboard videos, but we kept making them every year. So we figured, well, why not put people on a membership so they can keep getting all the new stuff? And, um, and for a long time, 
I think my membership must have been running for seven or eight years now. We had um, a lot of people paying for the new videos. And, uh, and that was really cool. But in saying that now, we're getting a lot more growth in the company from the physical products we're doing, um, whereas the membership is more kind of staying, I'd say more or less stagnant. You know, we get new, we get new members all the time, but we get old members dropping off. Um, and I think the reason we get old members dropping off is because there's a little bit of a reluctancy to pay for digital content these days. Um, it's so much media out there for free that people don't feel like they have to pay for it. Whereas with a physical product, you can't really download a physical product. So people are more willing to part with their money for physical products. Mm. So you were selling this uh, membership program right off the bat or was it like a something you decided to add on or not off the bat, but were you selling it directly to um, new customers or were you trying to upsell previous customers to this membership program? Yeah, we've been selling it to directly to new customers for a long time and it would re- rebuild them once a year. It was a great way to be able to get reoccurring revenue from our customers for sure. And we've still got lots of long-time customers who've been on the membership for years. Yeah, do you find that the uh, the marketing and the promotion behind a membership program to be different than just selling one-off digital products? And like, has that, has that changed the way you market to, to your customers? I don't think it's really changed how we market to our customers. How we market to our customers is by make, by basically promoting the world's best snowboard instruction videos, getting people out to our website, trying to get them on the newsletter, and then trying to get them to convert to purchase either memberships or physical training products. Gotcha. So it's we try to streamline it so it's very similar marketing no matter which product we're trying to push. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is to have a different marketing plan for every single product that you put out. That's going. That's not scalable at all. It'll make a lot of work. Yeah. So uh, like you were saying earlier, you made this transition uh, into physical products. Um, and it's obviously you know a big difference right between creating your own product and versus uh, creating digital product where the distribution is already there is pretty much well laid out already. A lot of it's are a lot of it you can essentially outsource. Uh, but when you're creating a, a brand new product, and was this a product that that you had invented as well? Um, more or less. Uh, so how I came across my first physical product was um, there was a company in the states that was producing a, a snowboard balance training product and they asked me if I would like to review the product and then I basically told the guy that um, I like the idea of it and I'd prefer to rebrand it and sell it on my website Mm -hmm. and he agreed to that so that was our first physical product which was the balance bar and um, and since then it got to the point where we were selling so much more of the balance bar than he was that we actually just acquired his company Um, well I mean he basically shut his company down and we purchased the molds of the product from him so that we could keep producing and, um, and that was the first product. And then once we'd kind of started selling the first training product, we realized, well, why don't we sell these other training products? So um, there was other trampoids out there in the market. And the one that we sell is just quite a lot better than the current trampoids that are available from other places. So our, our trampoline snowboard, which is used to basically train for snowboarding any time of the year, you can train on your home trampoline or on a gym trampoline in simulate and learn a lot of different snowboard tricks. Um, it's based on the real construction of a snowboard with a proper wood core and, um, and fiberglass. So it actually bends and flexes and feels like a snowboard, but has a foam bottom, which makes it very safe for trampoline use or safe for even use inside your living room at home. 
Yeah, I'm interested in this uh, rebranding deal that you you did right off the bat, or one of your very first physical products. Uh, what was what does like a, I guess a branding deal like that look like? Because I think it sounds like it's. Uh, does it make sense for any anybody to get into to take an existing I guess uh, a product and then uh, white label it and then place your own your own brand on top of it or is it something that's you find only possible once you have a following already it's definitely a lot easier once you have a following <laughs> um and saying that there's no reason why you can't go and make rebrand someone else's product and create and make a following making the following could potentially be more work mm-hmm. because you've got to get people interested to buy the product right in our case we already had the strong following of snowboard customers and we rebranded a, a snowboard balance product with snowboard addiction branding and we already had a market for it. So it was, I guess it was somewhat easy for us to sell that product and it made it easy for us to get into the, the business of a physical product because we didn't really have to have any large um, investment. We just had a product ready to go with, um, with a commission structure from the owner of that business. I was going to ask, you know, when you you don't give the specific details of your deal, but when someone wants to take this approach of working on a rebranding deal with a manufacturer, what what terms should they be or should they uh, be mindful of? What what's important to pay attention to when you put together a contract like this? Well, if you feel like you can trust the person, that's good. I never had any actual physical contract. It was all just kind of trust, word of mouth. Mm. And um, what it was is we basically rebranded his, his um, product with my branding and um, he would just be paying me a commission on every, um, every single one of them we sold. In fact, he actually even shipped them out. Oh. It's pretty cool. And that was at that point. And, so, and then eventually when he stopped running his business, we purchased the molds from his company and now we, um, we actually work with his previous manufacturers, produce it all, our, all ourselves, warehouse it and ship it ourselves. And as a result, we make a much better margin on it now than what we were making to start with. Very cool. Yeah, so let's get back to uh, to Facebook. Like you're saying, that's the biggest channel for you now. I also want to talk about email automation um, after that. Uh, but first with Facebook, what you, what do, can, you, can you explain again, what are you doing necessarily on Facebook? Are you just uh, running ads or are you promoting content? Cool. So... Um, I'll answer the questions the best I can, but I actually, one of my employees does all the Facebook work <laughs> for me. Um, so he'll, he'll know answers better than me, but what we do on our Facebook page is we're constantly putting up our content, whether it's, um, snowboard tutorials or photos of what we're doing or, you know, new product photos or just something that's interesting in the snowboard world. And then what we're quite often doing is uh, boosting those posts, which is a very easy thing to do on Facebook. You just basically choose an amount you're willing to boost and um, it will circulate that post to a lot more people who might be interested in it. Specifically for us, it's snowboarding. Um, when, uh, when you make your own Facebook account, you, basic, you basically have certain things that you're interested in. And if you're interested in snowboarding, you're probably going to get a lot of our posts. <laughs> And then uh, from there, we, we're basically doing pay-per-click marketing, which is very similar to what uh, Google AdWords has been doing for a long time, is we're basically paying for people to see our content, whether that's a video. It's predominantly videos. And uh, the cool thing with the Facebook advertising platform right now, it's in 2016, is it's very, very affordable to get a lot of views for a minimal price. We sometimes get video views on Facebook for – 
one cent per view. So what, what that means is we get 100 people to watch one of our videos for one cent, wow. which is incredibly cheap. Yeah. Do you find that the, the strategy is different for promoting a video versus like written content or I guess like graphic content? We haven't really pro- promoted any written content. We're predominantly promoting all video content. And then I think we've done a few bits and pieces with photos, um, and it's the same process. Makes sense. So once you have this video up and you are driving a ton of eyeballs to a lot of people are watching it, what's the, I guess, the path to getting them back to your store? Is it just a link in the, in the description? Like where are you, uh, I guess, where's the call to action? So there's a couple of different ways that you can do it with Facebook. One is just creating awareness, which is just getting as many people to watch that video as possible. Um, And that's the cheapest way because it keeps people on Facebook. Then there's other ways where you can actually pay for people to click through to your website. And I think they call that conversion marketing on Facebook. And uh, that one is quite a bit more expensive. To give you an example, I think we're paying around about 10 to 20 cents for every person that we get to click through to our website from Facebook. Um, but we are doing a lot of that as well. Mm-hmm. And do you run both of the, the, the awareness program and also the more of the, I guess the pay-per-click um, version of the Facebook ads? Yeah, we're running them both um, all the time. In fact, there's probably somewhere between five to 10 different campaigns running all the time. So for a store though, that's just starting out and they're trying to uh, do some paid advertising through Facebook, do you recommend one or the other uh, first if they are just trying to drive traffic to their to their store? Uh, probably a balance. Probably a balance. Um, awareness is cheaper um, because it keeps people on Facebook and Facebook just seems to make that cheaper, whereas getting through to your website definitely seems to cost a bit more. Um, it's probably best to balance out both and then see what works best for you. Um, and it's really hard to tell what is working best for you, but um, it's just part of the process and you know we do it all the time and the more you do it, the better you get at it. There's no real science to it. There's all these people on Facebook trying to sell courses on how to do Facebook advertising. I haven't looked at their courses, but I think there are a lot of bullshit. You should probably just learn it yourself because you're going to learn more doing it for your own company than you would trying to follow someone's program on it. But in saying that, I haven't tried their programs. Yeah, I mean, if, if they were to follow that, that um, I guess your, your, your device to just get in there and try it out for themselves, any recommendations on how to, you know, test out like a, I guess, use like a hundred dollar, five hundred dollar ad budget on Facebook for the first time? Like how should they set it up? How many campaigns do you think they, how many ads do you think they should be running? And you know, what's your, what's your advice on having like a five hundred dollar budget to spend on Facebook? So if I had like a five hundred dollar budget, um, I'd keep it simple. Just run a couple of campaigns and see what results you can get. And so maybe run two different campaigns that convert people to your website. See which one performed better and run two different campaigns that just get awareness and see which one gets better. Um, and then the one that gets better, if you've got more money, poke it onto that. But if you try to run 10 or 20 campaigns on 500 bucks, you're going to kind of drive yourself crazy because you're not going to be able to analyze the results good enough. So just keep it simple and try to find a measurable result um, with how much it's costing you. It's yeah. very easy to set different budgets with Facebook. So if you've only got 500 bucks to spend, it's very easy to set that limit and it won't go over the limit that you set. So for you, when you first started running these ads on, on Facebook or when your team started running these ads on Facebook, were they profitable right off the bat or did you have to learn and kind of go into the, the red for a bit? It's quite hard to know um, because we were running a profitable business before we ever started advertising to, to Facebook. 
But now that we're spending more money on Facebook, we're definitely getting more sales. But it's it's hard to attribute that to exactly the Facebook sale. Because, for example, someone might watch one of my videos on Facebook and go to the website, but it might be six months down the road before they purchase. Mm-hmm. And when they purchase, it's hard to attribute to that that they found it from Facebook. But really, they did find it from Facebook. So when you have a business, the more people that you get to your website – eventually the more people are going to purchase. So one of the goals that we have is just to get as much targeted traffic to our site as possible. And um, and as long as you've got a good product and a good pricing and good customer service and you've got something that people want to buy, then eventually more traffic equals more sales. Mm, makes sense. So once they get to your, your site from Facebook, are you driving them to a, a product page or just still trying to get them to that homepage so that they uh, eventually make it onto the email list? Uh, we start off trying to get into the homepage, and then from the homepage, um, they, depending on what they're looking for, they'll, you know, we have a bunch of free lessons on our website that will teach them various aspects of snowboarding for free. And then if they're trying to find the products, they're just going to have to navigate over top of the products to find them. Okay, and you mentioned before that the the email list, uh, the automation that you have going is one of the the key uh, I guess keys to success for your your business and your marketing. Can you say a little bit more about this? Or what kind of automation are you doing? Yeah, so we've been using email automations for a long time with Mailchimp, and um, basically, when someone joins our newsletter, we have a series of emails that will go out to them for about two years. I think it sends out an email once every two weeks for about two years on different stuff on our business. There's some discount emails. There's some introducing different products, giving out some free videos, some free lessons. There's a bunch of stuff. But what that does, it just always keeps snowboard addiction in the back of their mind. Um, and, uh, and, so, and that when they're on the newsletter, they also get our regular newsletters, which are about once a week or once every second week. So um, – uh, the automations have been pretty strong for us for a long time and definitely helped to convert sales. Mm-hmm. And what are you sending to them? You, know, you said two, two, every two weeks um, for, for two years, was that 48 emails that you're sending out or I guess in the entire funnel? How do you break that down? Like, how do you know what to be sending them at, at which times? It's, it's mostly we only send out stuff that is um, good value stuff. Like, for example, a good lesson that's going to teach them something about snowboarding um, or um, something about, you know, uh, backcountry safety, that's something talking about the mountains, people, things that snowboarders are interested, or then we've got a couple of ones that are like sales that is just timed on base when they join the newsletter. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, all sorts of stuff really. (laughs) So you basically set this, set this up and it just runs on its own. You don't touch your email pretty much at all. Your only job is just to find ways to drop people into that email list. Correct. We review it once every six months or so. We'll go through and touch things up and change a few things. But um, in general, we just let it run. Very cool. I think that's a great way to set up a business. If you want to free up your time in, in such a high converting medium like email, if you can automate it, that's just like um, your job to come way easier because all you have to do is again focus on getting people into the list and then your automation handles uh, the, the rest of it. Um, can you give us an idea of how large the email list is at this time and how, did you, how, how much has it grown over the last, I guess, almost 10 years now? Uh, at the moment, we have about 45,000 people on our email list. That's awesome. And do you find that that I think you know I've always heard about, especially with email lists, that they do can get they can get stale over time. 
do you find that that happening? Like how soon? How soon do you? Have, I guess how much time do you have to converse somebody before they you know become a stale lead? Um, well, I don't know the answer to that question, but we definitely every now and then we'll go through the email lists and clean it up. So if people haven't opened an email in a couple of years, we delete them off the list type thing. Um, so uh, yeah, because there's no point in having hundred thousand people on your email list if they're not opening your emails. Mm, makes sense. So one thing, yeah, one thing that I noticed that when I went to your your site and because you just give an idea of the date, it's uh, November nineteenth today when we're doing this call. So before Black Friday, and I see an opt in that says, "Would you like access to our Black Friday deals?" And clicking on that gets me into the the opt in page. Do you guys change this up depending on the time of year or what you're trying to do in terms of uh, how to entice people, incentivize people to join that list? Yes, we do. We change it up every now and then. Um, so yeah, the guys right now in my my office have basically got a bunch of specials going on for Black Friday, especially for people on the newsletter, but then also for the public on Black Friday. But the newsletter subscribers get a little bit of early access to um, the Black Friday specials. Mm, cool. One thing that you mentioned in the pre-interview uh, question or questionnaire, I guess, was that you want to make sure that people or entrepreneurs keep on top of their accounting to always make sure to keep the revenue higher than expenses. So obviously, it sounds very, uh, I guess, straightforward, um, but also a very big challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs. I think one of the big issues is how to keep track of all that, how to manage all of that. Do you have a system in place to help you keep track of all the, the revenue and expenses that are coming in and out of the company? Yeah, we've got lots of systems for accounting. Um, in fact, we have lots of systems for the business in general. Um, everything we try to do for the entire business, we basically try to write a manual around it, which says who's doing it, why are we doing it, when are we doing it, how often are we doing it, etc. So with accounting, we have that. I do a lot of the own the bookkeeping for the business myself, just because um, I really like to keep on top of the accounting. Um, so other than our actual accounting manual, we're using um, an accounting program called Xero, which is spelled X-E-R-O, and um, we moved to that accounting program just over a year ago, and it's really been awesome. It's been a hell of a lot better than the previous accounting program we used. Um, it's much easier for us to keep on track of our revenue and expenses, especially because my business, we sell predominantly in US dollars, but we're based in Canada. So we're constantly dealing in two currencies, um, which makes it a little bit more complicated. But with my new accounting program, it's been a lot easier to, um, to deal with multi-currency and also inventory. Now that we're selling physical products, there's a lot more um, accounting for inventory. How much are you spending in inventory, forecasting how much you're going to need, um, how much are you holding, how much are you selling? And um, we've set up systems that have helped us uh, be able to maintain and control that aspect of the business. Yeah, I think one of the the struggles too is identifying what expenses are actually necessary versus just you know nice to have. How do you make sure that you're investing in the business appropriately? Because you do need to spend money to make some money, but how do you know what you should actually be spending your money on? We try to keep it super lean. We don't really spend money on anything unless we have to. Um, I'm pretty. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit frugal with um, how we spend money. So we won't go and add a bunch of different software if we don't need it. But if it's something that we're going to use and it's going to help the business, then we'll definitely mm -hmm. add it. And based on your experience, you know, in almost 10 years in business and probably seeing and talking to other entrepreneurs, do you notice any common mistakes that other entrepreneurs make with their accounting or with their spending? I, I think a lot of people try to avoid their accounting or hand it off to other people. 
But I, I'm saying that I think it's very important to understand how it works and be on top of it yourself because it really helps you make a lot better decisions for your business if you understand it. And, you know, if you're handing off all your accounting to a bookkeeper or an accountant, how much are you meeting with them to keep on track of it? Like, are they keeping you up to date with where you're at? Um, because the money that's sitting in your bank is not always the money that you're making. You could be a lot more profitable than your bank's showing, or you could be a lot less profitable than what your bank's showing. Mm. And I'm sure this all this all all this accounting and all this uh, careful attention to revenue expenses helped a lot because you made an appearance on Dragon's Den. So I'm assuming that they wanted to know a lot about these details as well. Tell us about your experience on there. Like maybe start off with what you were looking for when you first came onto the show. So when we went on the show, we um, went in with a uh, trying to get $100,000 for 10% of the business. And um, we did get several offers from the Dragons. Uh, and we ended up doing a, a deal on TV with um, Michelle Romano for $100,000 for 15% of the business. And saying that, in real life, we decided not to go through with the deal. It um, didn't work out in the due diligence period between, um, between the two of us. And it didn't work out to be a, an investment worth doing for either of us. Um, but in saying that, we got great publicity from being on the show, and it was um, it was a cool experience as well. So if you're ever going to be going on anything like Dragon's Den or pitching to any investors at all, you better know your numbers really well. I did know my numbers really well, which was why I was able to um, get several offers in the Dragon's Den. And that all comes down to accounting. Um, people are going to rip your business apart real quick if you don't know your numbers. And um, and that's what accounting is. Mm-hmm. What did you want the the money for the hundred thousand dollars? Um, it was mainly for new staff and inventory. Um, when you get into physical products, you have to spend a lot more money on having stock. Um, and saying that, um, we weren't desperate, so it didn't matter to us that we didn't get a deal. It would have been real. I mean, I would have loved to have a dragon on board just for the growth potential of having a dragon on board. You know what? It wasn't critical for our business either way. Gotcha. Do you remember what the after effects were of the um, the airing of the show in terms of like revenue or traffic that was coming to your site after being featured on a television show like that? So we definitely got a decent bump, but the reality was is that Dragon's Den is only a Canadian TV show, and my business is international. In fact, ninety percent mm-hmm. of our sales are outside of Canada. So the bump was only a very small portion because ten percent of the business is Canadian. So it didn't affect us like in a way as if you're 100% a Canadian business and then you had on the Canadian TV show, you'd get a much more proportionate bump than what we got. Gotcha. So, you know, 10 years in almost 10 years of business now and the you know great success, can you give us an idea of how successful the business is today? Yeah. So we just um, came off our most successful year ever and um, we are now producing around just under a million dollars a year in revenue and running at about a 25% profit margin. So around $250,000 in profit on the million dollars in revenue. Very cool. Uh, so what do you have planned for the future of the, the business of the brand? Like, Where do you want to see Snowboard Addiction go in the next year? Um, right now, we're working on a few new products. We're working on um, some variations of our balance bar, which make it even more realistic for snowboard training. And we're also prototyping some training skis right now, which are trampoline skis. And the prototype we have is extremely fun. So we're trying to push that product out to the market as soon as we can. Um, uh, and we're pretty excited about that. 
Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Neb. So snowboardaddiction.com, again, is a website. Anywhere else you recommend our listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? If you want to follow along or up to, the best way is actually to get on our newsletter, which you can get on just at snowboardaddiction.com. And also our Facebook page. We do a ton of stuff on our Facebook page. Cool. We'll link all that in the show notes. Thanks again, Nev. No problem. Thanks so much, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.